Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. If you're new to us today, if this is your first Sunday, we are going to wrap up a series on the book of Esther. I've already slipped up once today and referred to her as Easter, so um, that's that's my big my big challenge today is to get through and not do that again, but uh, let me bring you up to speed. If you haven't been with us, I can, I can kind of tell you the story and, and bring you up to where we are, and, and you'll know. Um, Esther and her cousin Mordecai are Jews, and they are in captivity in a foreign country, and King Xerxes rules over this land, over all these Jewish people. There was a bad guy who was kind of a kiss up to the king, and his name was Haman, and uh, Haman hated Mordecai, this Jew. And, and uh, Esther was uh, a little cousin to Mordecai. And, and Esther had lost her parents and her family. And so all she had was Mordecai and this older cousin. And he kind of raised her. And this bad guy, Haman, turns out doesn't like Mordecai. And um, Esther, who is, as I said, is, is a Jew... And apparently no one in the kingdom knew this, and apparently the king, King Xerxes, did not know this, but through a series of events, Esther becomes Queen Esther married to King Xerxes. So, so you have this triangle, you have King Xerxes, and then over here you have Haman, who's a bad guy, who kind of kisses up to the king all the time, and, and then right next to King Xerxes is, more, is um, uh, Esther, who is a little cousin to this guy over here named Mordecai, who is also a Jew. And Haman doesn't like Mordecai. In, in fact, that's putting it mildly. Haman hates Mordecai, and Haman hates the Jews because Mordecai is a Jew. And so, you know, th- this is a true story that we're looking at today, but it kind of has takes on a, a soap opera quality about it. The only difference is this one's uplifting, okay? I don't know what you're watching in the afternoon, um, I, I, I guess there could be something uplifting in there. I'm still looking for that. Not that I watch them, but I, I've seen enough of them to know these are better. This one's this is a better soap opera is what I'm telling you. Um, Haman convinces King Xerxes uh, that he needs to issue an edict to wipe out all the Jews. He's, gonna, he's basically going to allow everybody in all 127 provinces to attack the Jews. And uh, through a series of circumstances, King Xerxes comes to the realization that this guy Mordecai, who's a really good guy, this, this Jew named Mordecai, sometime back has discovered a plot to assassinate King Xerxes. And so he alerts the officials, and the plot is uncovered, and the, the, you know, the crisis is averted. And um, King Xerxes isn't killed, and... Uh, he realizes that Mordecai has actually been responsible for saving his life is what ends up happening and so he asks the question is did we do anything for Mordecai I mean he saved my life did we did we honor him did we do anything and the answer comes back no we never really did anything for Mordecai so he decides to honor Mordecai all right so again just to give you the triangle King Xerxes and over here's this guy named Haman who's a bad guy boo on Haman over here he's bad and then Mordecai over here is a good guy he uncovered a plot that was they were gonna some guys were gonna try and kill the king so the king wants to honor Mordecai here's where the story gets funny 
Xerxes find, uh, Haman finds out that King Xerxes is about to honor somebody, doesn't know who, and in his arrogance, he assumes that the one that's about to be honored is him. So he gets all excited only to find out, no, King Xerxes is going to honor this Jew named Mordecai that I hate. And I, in fact, he hated him so much, he's, he's gone and built gallows on his property so that he can have Mordecai hanged on the gallows. That's how bad he hated Mordecai. So, but what ends up happening is when, when um, King Xerxes finds out how bad Haman is, uh, he finds out that he wanted to kill Mordecai. He finds out that he wanted to have all of his wife, Queen Esther's uh, relatives, killed. He finds out, uh, he comes into a room where basically Haman is, has fallen on the sofa or the couch or whatever where Queen Esther is sitting and is begging for mercy from her, and that doesn't look real good. So things don't go real good for Haman to the point that he gets hanged on his own gallows. Moral of the story, don't build gallows on your own property. Okay, don't do that. It never ends good when you do that. So um, here's the thing. Once Haman has been killed, the edict about the Jews is still in effect. This was the land of the laws of the Medes and Persians. And if you know anything about that, you know that once you declared a law, once something was, uh, an edict was declared, you didn't undeclare it. It was, it was binding. So um, Haman has gotten King Xerxes to issue this decree that the Jews are in trouble, that you can attack the Jews, un not knowing that Mordecai is a Jew and not knowing that his own wife, Queen Esther, was a Jew. Um, so we pick up the story at that point, and we see Esther going to the king, and, and we're going to see her revealing herself as a Jew to King Xerxes, her own husband. And she basically says, you can't allow my people to be killed you, you just you, you got to do something you've got you you you've, you can't allow this decree to go forth and we see this story unfold not only will we see the rejoicing and celebration we will see the sovereignty of a good god who provides for his people and we're going to see a, an entire nation celebrating their salvation we're also going to see how god used esther and her cousin mordecai to step up and speak up taking a risk even at the peril of their own life speaking on behalf of their people and so um, we're going to see some practical application in this for you and me as well so Esther chapters 8 9 and 10 is where we'll be if you if you want to find that in your Bible chapter 8 Esther chapter 8 it's uh, I think it's right after Nehemiah and and uh, just before the book of Job if I'm not mistaken so uh, that's where you'll find the book of Esther let's start this morning by saying this I'm gonna give you four statements this morning we're gonna kind of hang everything on the first one is this good news must be shared in order to be good right you, you share good news good news is for sharing when you get good news you're on the phone you're god knows you're on facebook i mean you're all over facebook so you're letting the news be known i mean it's good news you're calling people texting people emailing people you everybody that comes into contact with you you're giving them good news when you find a really good restaurant you go, man, the steaks at this restaurant, they like melt in your mouth. You've got to go try a steak. I mean, you're telling people about the steak. Or you, you, know, you say, oh, the salads are so good. Well, kind of just tell you that a salad is no good unless there's meat in it, okay? There's got to be meat in a salad for it to be good. But, but you, you, you want people to know about the restaurants that you experience that you say, oh, that's just such a good place to eat. Or if you find a bargain somewhere, a really good deal, you call the people that are close to you and say, hey, 
I don't know if you need any, but chicken is, you know, this much a pound at so-and-so, or, you know, you can get Cokes for this much at so-and-so, or gas is, gas is, what is gas right now? 369? 369 a gallon right now. You better get some. So um, you tell people good news. And that's kind of happening here. As we wrap up the book of Esther, there's been a plot to kill the, the entire nation of Israel. The irony is that there are two Jews who are very close to the king, King Xerxes, and they are the only ones who have the opportunity to step up and do anything about this. The bad guy Haman is now dead, and now God, in his provision and sovereignty, is going to do something amazing <clears throat> to protect the people. And, and, and this good news takes place. Esther chapter 8, verse 10. Mordecai wrote, the wrote in the name of King Xerxes, sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring. That's how powerful Mordecai has now become. He has access to the king's signet ring. That is, like, I don't know a way to tell you that. That's just like, that's like you getting the bat phone with the president. You know, he's got, the, he's got that bat phone in the Oval Office. That's like you having access to that thing, all right? So it's like a big deal that he's got this signet ring. And he sent them by mounted couriers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. That's what that means is the king had like Maserati horses and everybody else had Volkswagen horses. That's what that means. So, uh, so here's the back story. Esther goes to the king and she says, look, I'm a Jew and this edict that you've passed to allow people to kill the Jews, that's my, that's my heritage. That, those are my people. And, and um, there's 127 provinces and you've, you're, you're basically allowing all these people in all these different provinces to attack my ancestors and my people and, and my, you know, my lineage. And you just, you know, I know you can't undo the decree, but you can issue another decree that would protect the Jews. And so that's what she's wanting him to do. And so the king agrees to do that. Mordecai is now able to sign this decree and, and put the seal on it with the signet ring and get it sent out. That makes it official. And so they're rushing this message out to, to all the people. And, and they basically learn, if you're a Jew, you're not going to have to just stand there and let people come in and wipe you out and take all your stuff. I mean, that's basically what it comes down to. You say, well, why is that a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because God in his provision has decided that the Jewish nation would be the vehicle by which God would deliver the Messiah, the Son of God. That's why it was such a big deal for God to protect the Jews in the Old Testament. That's why, even looking back on it now, we can see the amazing hand of God at work in these events. So when Mordecai writes this decree, because he was second in command to the king, that's, that's how high he gets. He, he gets way up there. This decree gets sent out. It's good news. It's really good news because the people of Israel are going to be spared and the people are going to live. Verse 11, the king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate any armed force of any nationality or province that might attack them or their women and children and to plunder their property, the property of their enemies. Verse 12, the day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month of the month of Adar. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers riding the royal horses raced out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was also issued in the citadel of Susa. In other words, this is a big deal. 
All right, this is big news. This, we're, we got to broadcast this. There was no you know, CNN and Fox. There is no Twitter feed. There is nothing like that. You know, there's no Facebook. It's, it's, this is big stuff. And, and there's a couple of words and phrases here that I want us to pay particular attention to, and it's going to help us to understand why this news was so good and, and, and why it had to be shared. And then what I want to do is apply uh, that to ourselves why the good news of Jesus is such a big deal and why at Cross Lane we're going to do all we can to reach people with the good news of Jesus in order to bring them to him. So in verse 10, there's this word. It's the word sent. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes, sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring and sent them by mounted courier. In other words, Mordecai had the full authority of the king to do this. To every Jewish community and every other surrounding community in 127 provinces he's got provinces he's got the authority to do this from ethiopia to india he's basically saying you can defend yourself if anybody tries to attack you it also says in verse 13 that the law in every province was made known to the people of every nationality they went to great lengths to make sure that everybody knew and that they could understand this news was so good that unless but unless people knew about it it was worthless and and that's what we would say about Jesus and forgiveness. It's great news, but only to people who actually hear it. There are people that you know that don't know Jesus the way you know him, and there are people who do not yet understand what Jesus is all about. The only way they're ever going to know is if someone who does know tells them about it. See, here's the thing that disturbs me about people who are far from God. Generally speaking, people who are far from God, the only way they get information about God or the, the way that their opinion about God gets formed, how does it get formed? It gets formed in a circle with other people who don't know God. So oftentimes what you have are a bunch of people who, who are hungry and thirsty to talk about God. They want God in their life. Somehow they... they let me just tell you, even people that you think are non-religious... Um, they're thinking about God. They may not say a whole lot, but it's on their mind. When they go to bed at night, they're thinking about God. They pray and don't tell you. Things go wrong and they start, you know, they're wondering where God is in the whole thing. And, and when people like that get together sometimes and they start talking, it's so frustrating for me as a pastor sometimes. I'll, I'll be, you know, in a, in a waiting in a waiting room or something or in a line or whatever. I'll hear two people talking and God will come up. And man, the preacher in me just wants to take over, but I don't, and I just listen. And it's, it, it breaks my heart to listen to people talk about God and how they see God, because a lot of people don't see God as a forgiving God. They don't, when I tell you God's crazy about you, you're the apple of his eye. He loves you. He's, he's, he's nuts about you. That's not what they think. You know what most people think about God? I hope he doesn't get me today. That's what they think. Can I just tell you, if God was going to get you, he'd have done got you. Okay? Stop living your life that way. Stop looking over your shoulder wondering when God's going to get you. Listen to me. He's nuts about you. He loves you. He's crazy about you. But when I hear people talk about God, that's not what they think about God. They don't think God loves them. They don't think God died to forgive them. They think that if they don't do it right, God's going to get them. And I hear that and I just want to go, oh. But how are they going to know if somebody doesn't tell them. And the thing is, you know people who are like that, 
And the only person in their world who has any shot at helping them to understand. See, it's, not, it's, about, it's about being strategic is what it's about. I can hear two people in a, in a waiting room talking about God. And I can be a preacher and want to step in and say, you know, let me, let me tell you where you're wrong about this. Let me help you to understand. If they don't know me, you know what they're thinking, right? Dude, leave me alone. You know, we didn't invite you into this conversation. Just back off, Jack. This isn't for you. But if that's your friends and you're one day out in a car together or you're at lunch or you're at dinner and, and the conversation comes up, listen, if you know this stuff and you're not stepping up to talk to them about it, you're letting them down. How are they ever going to know if you don't tell them? Good news is not good news if it's not shared. Beyond that, I heard this this week. I heard that one in every three and a half people have never heard of Jesus. One in every three and a half people. That's too many. That's too many. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Brett, there's, it's a big place. It's a big ball. There's the other side of the world. There's other you know, parts of the country. They don't let us go in and tell people. I, I know that. I know that. But one in three and a half people haven't heard the name Jesus. And that should bother us. Good news has to be shared in order for it to be good news it's not good news to someone who dies without ever hearing the news i would put it to you this way if someone had some odd disease and you had no idea there was a cure in another country in another part of the world and then you died because you didn't get the medicine you needed because no one told you that it was available to you that would be a tragedy and yet that happens spiritually all the time people dying who don't know God died to forgive me. God died because he loves me. He died to save me. This is how the gospel works, but it's only good news if we share it. Verse 14, the couriers riding the horse, the royal horses, raced out, spurred on by the king's command. You get this sense of urgency here. They were in a hurry. They wanted to get this news out. They didn't, they didn't want anybody to be attacked. Can you imagine what it would have been like if you were a Jew and you knew that at any time people could attack you and take your stuff, kill your family, kill your wife, and just take off with all your stuff? Can you imagine how scary it would be to live in a world like that? No wonder the couriers were sent out in such a hurry. That's why we talk around here so much about bring, uh, bringing people to Jesus. That's why we do things a little differently here than some other churches do now if you're new today and you're you're looking this might be a completely new experience for you you know the the preacher's not wearing a suit and tie and there's a drum kit on the stage and i don't know what songs they just sang but i've never heard those before and do i see people dragging coffee in here and you know here's the point behind all that i know that this is not a normal looking church to you i know some of you may have grown up and and when if you came to church for the first time in a long time and it's here today you're thinking man what in the world have i walked into here's what you've walked into you've walked into a church that is absolutely crazy nuts about jesus and and a place that doesn't take a whole lot else real serious we don't take ourselves too serious around here we take jesus very serious but we don't think you have to be all dressed up we don't think that it's a sin to bring coffee into the auditorium to sit and listen to someone tell you about jesus We don't think it's wrong to have drums and guitars and and upbeat music, the kind of music that, let's be honest, you're listening to on your radio anyway. Um, We don't think that's wrong. And we think that there are people out there that they don't want to go to a church with an organ and a guy dressed up. They don't want to put a suit on. And listen to me very carefully, okay, because I'm about to say something very important. Churches like that are okay. 
All right, there's nothing wrong with a church like that. We pray around here all the time for churches just like that to be full this morning. This is not a we versus them kind of thing. All right, we want them all full. I want the churches where they're all dressed up and playing hymn music, hymns and church music. I want those places full because here's what I know. Those churches will be able to reach some people that this church simply cannot reach. We're just, we just can't reach everybody. But here's what else I know. Places like this have to exist because we can reach people that some other churches might not be able to reach, maybe even you today. So the message is very clear. We're here because we love Jesus. We're all broken and busted up, and we're here to testify to you that if you're broken and busted up, there's a place for you at the table. And we hope that you've come in today. If you've gotten coffee and brought it in, that's great. I told them this morning, put your feet up and relax, but don't literally put your feet up. That might offend the person in front of you, but, but you know, just relax, relax. We want you to be relaxed. Where was I? Oh, that's why last week... We had Tessa and Nathan um, Lawson here with their four kids, four kids under the age of five. Still getting over that. And it was fascinating. I got to spend a little time with them after church. Uh, some of us got to stay and, and, and eat with them a little bit and, and hear them talk about what's going on in Zimbabwe, and it's amazing. It's, a, it's amazing to listen to them and their passion for lost people and how they reach people in a third-world country and um, just amazing. And, and you need to know that your money, when you give money like here, some of that money goes to support uh, Nathan and Tessa. Next week, um, Cassidy and Corey Fountain are going to be here. Cassidy grew up in this church. Her mom and daddy still go to church here. They just had a baby a month ago. They got twins on top of that, and they're getting ready to pack up and go to Turkey to tell people about Jesus. Okay? That's what we call stepping up. That's what we call that. All right? And they'll be here next week to tell you about it. Listen. It matters to us. That's why we put our money into it. That's why we talk about it. Bringing people to Jesus is important because he changes everything. They had news that's, that basically was, hey, this changes everything. We've got to get it out. Paul's talking to the church in Rome. And in the book of Romans, chapter 10, he asks a series of rhetorical questions. I want to read those for you. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them and how can they preach unless they are sent Paul says there are people out there that need to hear the gospel and remember 2,000 years ago in the city of Rome most of the people had not heard the gospel the world was filled with people who had never been evangelized and Paul said how how can people believe in Jesus if they've never heard of Jesus and how can people hear that Jesus um, loves them unless someone goes and tells them and how is someone going to tell them if we don't send them to tell them and so that's exactly what's happening in this, in this book with Esther there's a group of men sent out to share the good news that all the people in the, in the nations and all these tribes all these Jews that have feared for their life now can, there's, there's hope for them so how do we apply that to us today well if you know Jesus You've got a job to do, quite simply. I want to dispel the myth that could be present in here this morning that bringing people to Jesus is just my job. Okay? 
I don't want you to walk, come and go and, and spend much time here and think to yourself, well, bringing people to Jesus, that's really Brett's thing. You know, he's the one, he's the one, and Kyle and Ryan and Tracy, they're the ones that, that bring people to Jesus. No, it, it isn't just for the elders to worry about. It isn't just for the staff to worry. It's for us to worry. It's for us to step, step up and say, look, this is a collective thing. Because here's what I know. I know that there are certain people that if you introduce them to me, like if you just introduce them as this is my friend Brett, which by the way, that's how I'd rather you introduce me to your friends, okay? This is my friend Brett. You have to call me pastor. You don't have to call me friend. I'd really like to be your friend. So when you say this is my friend Brett, they think, oh, this is your friend. Okay, I can be myself around him. But when you say this is my pastor, everything changes. You get that, right? You understand that? When they find out I'm a pastor, it all changes. Language clears up. Cigarettes go away. Whatever they're drinking, suddenly, you know, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm wearing presence of the pastor, you know. There's certain people that only you can reach because they get one whiff of me as the pastor and they go, nope, checking out, don't want to hear anything from him. I know what he wants. He wants my money. That's what he wants. That's what a lot of your friends think. They think I want your, their money. You have to be willing to share the good news. You have to be willing. And you say, Brett, I don't know how to tell anybody about Jesus. Sure you do. Tell them what Jesus does in your life every single day of your life. That's what you tell somebody about Jesus. You don't have to be able to get up and preach a sermon to be able to tell somebody about Jesus. Tell them what Jesus means in your life, how he has helped you, how he changes you, how he inspires you, how he strengthens you every day. That's all you have to know. If you know Jesus, you know everything it takes already to tell somebody else about him. We're going to tell, we're going to tell people about Jesus with our mouth, with the way we live, with the way we spend our money, by being nice to the grocery store clerk. Just be nice to people for crying out loud. I used to, I need to, I've got written in my notes here, disclaimer. <laughs> That's all it says, disclaimer. Um, this is not a nice place anymore, is it? There's just, you know, there's people frowning and upset and yelling, and it's like I listen to sports talk radio, and all they do is yell at one another. All they do is yell and scream all the time. Nobody's happy. You know, you, you, all you hear is people honking horns and, you know, telling each other they're number one, and you just don't, you know, it's just this, this, whole, this whole thing about I'm just going to be nice. Now, my disclaimer is this. I thought for the longest time, my goal as a Christian male for the longest time was, I'm just going to be nice. I'm just going to be a nice, just a nice guy, and people will want to come to Jesus because I'm a nice guy. They're just going to think, oh, that Brett, he's so nice. He's just so nice. I want to come to Jesus. He's so nice. And what I found out is it takes more than just being nice to do the job but you can do all the other stuff, and if you're not nice, it really doesn't help. You need to show people that you have the joy of Christ. You need to show people that Jesus in your life matters and makes a difference. You need to show people that you're not angry all the time and that, that God actually is working in your life and, and, and you know, let them see, you know, wow, I mean, um, good things could possibly happen. See, here's what I know. You're going to leave here today, many of you, and go out to eat somewhere. 
because I know you. And and you 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 associate church with dinner out. That's what that's just how it goes for you on Sunday. And that's okay. That's all right. But here's the thing. When you go sit down today in the restaurant and someone comes to take your order and someone comes to take care of you and give you service, they know you've been to church. They'll hear you talking about something that happened. They'll know. They'll just trust me. They can smell it on you, okay? They know you've been to church. And how you treat them and the words you say and the way you look at them, whether or not you smile. Can we just practice? Let's all smile. Let's all get ready to smile for the person who takes care of us today, all right? That matters. That matters. That's all part of taking the message to somebody else. Okay, so the good news has to be shared in order for it to be good. You think, that's point one. I'm going to hurry, okay? Trust me. When God's people step up, lives are saved. you got to step up to save somebody's life. What we just read happened because a woman was willing to step up. I want to go back and read what Esther did because now the Jews are going to be saved and, and they're going to be able to survive and they're going to live and Haman's dead and the plot to kill the Jews is over. And Mordecai and Esther have, have seemingly won the day and it happened when one of God's people said, I will do something. I will step up and take a chance. I'll take a risk. Let's go back to Esther chapter 8, verse 3. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. Then the king extended the gold scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. In order for there to be a new decree, there would have to be... Uh, in order for there to be help for the Jews, Esther had to be willing to risk her own life. We said last week that she said, look, if I perish, I perish. She knew there was a risk. She knew this could not go well. She knew that, that, that things couldn't, could kind of come off the hook and go bad for her. And even though she was married to King Xerxes, she broke protocol. She was not supposed to, to approach him unless he invited her in. The way it worked is he would raise his scepter to her, that was an invitation, you may come to me. And, and for her to come at him without him doing that could get her in big, big trouble. So she risks her very life. She steps up and God gave grace and he extended the golden scepter and Esther pleaded her case. Verse 5, if it pleases the king and if he regards me with favor and thinks it right, uh, the right thing to do and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and, had, and to Mordecai the Jew, Because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther, and they have hanged him on the gallows. Now, and this is where this gets good, Write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews as seems best to you and seal it with the king's signet ring for no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. And Mordecai now has the authority to write this decree and put, his, put the king's seal on it and send it out to overrule the first one. And he's giving them the authority now to defend themselves. And so these couriers are racing out and they're rejoicing and they're they're taking this good news and they're sharing it with all the Jews from Ethiopia to India. Verse 9, at once the royal secretaries were summoned on the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Sivan. They wrote out all Mordecai's orders to the Jews and to the satraps and governors and nobles of the 127 provinces stretching from India to Cush. 
These orders were written in the, scripts of e in the script of each province and the language of each people and also to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes, sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring, sent them by mounted couriers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. What a difference in this story. Chapters ago, the Jews, are their heads are basically on the chopping block. It does not look good for them at all. Now they're being protected, and God has used Esther, the queen, this woman who said, I'm willing. I'm willing at risk of my own life to step up and do something here. See, when God's people step up, there's always salvation. I think sometimes we think to ourselves, well, how can I step up? You know, what can I do? Maybe you're sitting here right now, and you're thinking, Brett, you, you know, you God love you. You're preaching this sermon with your whole heart. And you're trying to get me convinced. But Brett, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what you 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 don't know how hard it would be for me to step up. Let me just tell you. Esther did two things. I'm going to give you two things that Esther did, or basically that that Esther was not really what she did, but it's how she did them. Two things. Esther was bold, and Esther was humble. And here's something I'd never thought about until this week. It was pointed out to me. You often don't hear the words bold and humble together. You just don't hear them together. I mean, just it's almost like boldly humble. Humbly bold. I mean, how do you... I mean, it, it works. I mean, you can see it. You can be it But because Esther was. But it just, it, it, it's, kind of, it's like, kind of like jumbo shrimp. You know, it's just like, it's just not hooking up. She was bold. How do we know she was bold? Because she walked into King Xerxes' inner chamber at risk of her own life. How do we know she was humble? Here's how we know. Listen, I'm gonna, I want to read this to you again. Pick out some of these words. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. She's a bold woman who has found favor in the sight of God, but she is humble enough to realize that it is the providence of God that saves the day and not our own human efforts. Esther was bold. She was humble. She was willing to ask. You need to be willing to ask. You need to be willing to seek God on behalf of lost people. Can I just, I, I, I've told you this before, but you need to hear this again and again and again. Every, the first Monday of every month is elders meeting night for us here. And at every elders meeting, without fail, I mean without fail, the first thing that happens when we come together as a group of elders is I hand them a piece of paper with names of lost people at the very top of it. And at every elders meeting, the first thing we do is we take about 45 minutes. Some, many times, sometimes we spend more time praying for lost people than it actually takes for us to have our meeting. But we don't ever neglect the practice of praying for lost people because we understand as elders and we understand as a staff that, that beyond glorifying God with this church, what this church really is called to do is really two things, glorify God and to bring people to Christ. And we believe that when we bring people to Christ, God gets glorified. And so we pray for lost people. And here's what I would tell you. There are names on that list that have been on that list for years. And we are, if I'm totally honest with you, sometimes we go, man, are they ever going to come to Jesus? I mean, we have been praying for them forever. Let's take them off the list. No! No! 
We will not take them off the list. We're going to pray for them. We're just going to beat the door of heaven down until God devises a way and sees our heart and sees how much we care about these people so that they can understand, no, they matter to God, they matter to us, and we're going to pray for them. People in the Bible prayed for years for things to happen. We're not going to give up on these people. Esther knew, I need to do so. I've got to step up. I've got to ask. And the elders asked on behalf of lost people. She spoke to the king, Esther did. She gave, the king gave mercy and the people were protected. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just ask a question. Hey, you all right? You want to talk about God? You want to go to church with me? You want to go to a place where people are broken and busted up every bit as much as you are? Where nobody's perfect? You want to go to a place where the preacher's not going to yell at you? Make you feel like a heel when you walk out? You want to go to a place where they give you free coffee? You know, start there. We're doing whatever it takes. We are partnered with you. Everything we do at this church is partnering with you to help you reach out to a friend of yours so that you can bring them to a place where you won't be embarrassed, where we won't embarrass them, where they can come in and be safe and hear a good uh, lesson on on Jesus or, or the Bible in some way, have some uplifting music. You know, honestly, I told him in the first service. I told him this in the first service. Here's our goal. I, I know you think our goal is for you to bring your visitor friends and for them to leave and go, man, that was awesome. That's really not the goal. The goal is that they would leave and go, well, it wasn't horrible. It wasn't horrible. And then for them to, you know, later on in the day go, you know, I, I'm singing that song we were singing this morning. I'm singing that song. Cannons in the night. It's the only verse they know, but they're saying, Cannons in the night. And and that preacher, he wasn't dressed up. He obviously wasn't real smart, but I I find myself thinking about what he said. You know what? I think I think I'd like to go back. If they asked me, I would go back. And the next thing you know, they're singing the songs in their car. The next thing you know, they've found the radio station that plays the songs. The next thing you know, they're downloading sermons. The next thing you know, they're bringing someone with them. The next thing you know, they're giving their life to Jesus. How do I know that? Because that story that I just told you has played out over and over and over again in this place. It happens all the time because somebody asked. Let me just tell you this. My wife is known in our house by our children as... You ready for this? Shopper mom. That's her title in our house, shopper mom. And this is why. The worst thing that people can say is no. You know, I mean, it's like a total rejection for me. I can't stand it when people tell me no. I don't, I don't want to ask them. And I'm just real shy about that kind of stuff. My wife is not. She understands that, that in order to get a deal, in order to get a bargain, sometimes you've got to ask. You don't get it unless you ask. And we'll be at a line. This, I don't know how many times this has happened in our life. And this is... This really reflects poorly on me and well on her. I hope that's how you hear it because that's how I want you to hear it. But we'll be in line and she'll be getting ready to buy something. And, you know, I'm like, okay, let's get this paid for. And, you know, let's, I, I'm all about don't make a scene, all right? I'm all about don't, let's just, let's just, you know, streamline this thing and get through. This lady's had a rough day. Let's don't make it hard on her. And, you know, and once in a while my wife will say something like, hey, this has got a spot on it right here. You think you, think you could maybe take a little something off for this spot right here? And I'm like, oh, no! 
no or you know i've got a coupon here and it expired two days ago but could you still honor this coupon and they they'll do it sometimes you know what i'm, I'm like I'm, and when she'll do it i'm like oh no you know the, not the coupon but i don't know how many times she's come in and she'll put something on the table and she'll say you know what i paid for that and she'll tell me and i'm like how'd you do that she's i asked him i just asked him there's been times that i've bought something and was supposed to ask for something to go with it and didn't want to do it and you know we'll i'll get to the she'll say well did you ask for the other no i didn't ask for the other because she's willing to ask and i'm not and 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 really like i said i hope it does you're not thinking it reflects poorly on her i think it reflects very well on her it reflects poorly on me that i'm so afraid to be told no and kids in high school just let me tell you get used to it little boys you're dating a little girl it's going to break your heart she's going to tell you no i mean you're going to ask some girl out and she's going to say no Little girls are wanting this one guy to ask them out. And he's, you know what? He's not, rejection is a part of this whole game that we play called dating. It's going to happen. We don't like hearing no. It's it's hard, but it's a part of life. You've got to be willing to step up. You've got to be willing to ask the question. You Listen, their soul is in the balance in this case. You've got to be willing to say, would you come to church with me? I promise the preacher's not going to make you stand up. I promise the music's going to be good promise you're going to leave and you're going to be glad you went you got to ask the question number three god always uses people to accomplish his purposes there was a plan to kill the jews but god had in his provision secretly without the knowledge of the king placed two people in his life who were close to the jews who were jews and he used esther and he used mordecai there are people that god has put you in close proximity to that you have influence with that no one else has influence with certainly not me i just want to say real clearly this morning god wants to use you and he doesn't need you to be a preacher you don't have to have gone to a bible college you don't have to be a pastor a mentality that i want us to get away from around here is the mentality that well in order for them to come to jesus i got to get brett involved you do not have to get me involved sit down with them pray with them listen to their story listen that's something that we just don't do anymore we don't listen listen to their story and then tell them about jesus you don't have to have a phd in theology you don't have to have been a christian for 50 years some of you in here aren't even christians yet and god wants to use you we've had people come to this church become christians through the influence of someone who wasn't even a christian all right so god can use you and he's waiting on you to step up you might be sitting here listening to me thinking you know i've got no skill i got no ability i don't know how to do this nothing god could use yeah you do some of you got a big mouth all right god can use that some of you have have you know big faith some of you have big vision and imagination some of you have a big checkbook some of you some of you have a a, a checkered past and a history that someone else who doesn't know Jesus and has a checkered past and thinks, you know, God could never use me because of my checkered past. And you could walk into a room that I'm in where I'm trying to relate to him, and I just, I can't, you know, I'm the preacher. They're not listening to the preacher. But when you walk in and you tell your story and you say, look, this is where I was, and this is what God has done for me, and they go, I can relate to you. Tell me more. Some of you, your past 
while you, wouldn't, you, you wish you could go back and rewrite it and change it, God can take it and use it and make a difference in the life of somebody else. I must hurry. You say, Brett, you just don't know. You, you, just don't, you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't know. But you know what? It's not important that I know. I didn't shed my blood for you. Jesus did, and he knows. You're here and you're listening to this and you're thinking, you know, I don't understand. This isn't making sense to me. Listen, it doesn't matter. You make sense to God. He knows you. He knows what's on your heart. He knows what you need. He knows what you're afraid of. He loves you and he wants to save you and he wants to use you. You could be used by God today and you don't even know it yet. God always uses people to accomplish his purposes. People think, you know, God could never use me. Read the Bible. And what you'll see in the Bible is God uses all kinds of broken, busted up people. I love our logo because our logo is a bunch of chips put together to form the word cross lane. And I love that because that's what we are. We are a bunch of broken pieces of shattered glass that somehow come together to make up a church that God can use. You can read God's heart by looking at the broken people in this room. Esther chapter 10, verse 3. We're going to wrap this up. Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by his many followers, by, by, his, by his many fellow Jews, because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. The Jews would have been dead in the water without Mordecai and without Esther. He used somebody. Here's what I want to tell you. God used, those of you who are in the room this morning who are Christians, God used somebody to get to you. God used somebody to get to you. If somebody hadn't stepped up, you wouldn't know Jesus. I wouldn't be on this stage this morning. I wouldn't be your pastor. I wouldn't be in ministry if it were not for the likes of a guy like L.D. Campbell who invested heavily in me, spoke truth into my life, and preached grace over my life. I would not be in ministry today if it wasn't for a guy like Doug Newhouse, who was my youth pastor, who stood by me and supported me and encouraged me and poured himself into me. I had a little, when I was in the first grade, I can still remember my first grade Sunday school teacher. Her name was Mrs. Christian. And Mrs. Christian was the first one who ever told my parents, that boy's going to be a preacher. I remember walking into Jet Cadets when I was in the sixth grade and the Jacksons would be standing at the door, a, mother, a husband and wife team, waiting on, on us to show up. Smiles on their faces, prepared for us to go in and teach us. I still remember them. Fourth grade, walking into Wally Henneman's fourth grade boys Sunday school class. Wally's dead and gone. And you would look at Wally Henneman and you would think, that boy doesn't know anything about teaching fourth grade boys about Jesus. And you probably would be right. But here's what he did know. He knew how to connect with me. And he knew how to make me feel like a rock star. And I would walk in every Sunday. And he would hand me a stick of gum. Big smile on his face. And you know, I don't remember one lesson that Wally ever taught. I remember Wally. Because he stepped up. He didn't look at us and go, eh, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. I don't feel like it. I'm not qualified. 
Somebody is counting on you to step up. You know the good news. You've been saved. Your life's been changed. Who's waiting on you to be used the way God used somebody to get to you? Now, I've got more to tell you. There's another fourth point. Salvation should always be declared and celebrated. I'm going to skip the, Leanne, I'm just going to skip it. But basically what we're told is to this day the Jews celebrate these two days that they set aside to honor this time when God saved the Jews. To this day they celebrate that, the Jews do. So, so here's the takeaway. It's great that you come to church at Cross Lane. We love it that you come. It's great that you give your money. It's great that you bring your friends. It's great that you do all that. But listen, we cannot not step up. We cannot shrink back. We have a life-changing message that the world desperately needs. There are people that you know that are hurting. And you may think that they don't want to hear about Jesus, but you don't know until you ask them, take a page out of my wife's book, and ask, ask. Be bold enough, care enough about them and about Jesus to ask the question and step up. If you've never given your life to Jesus, what are you waiting for? God is absolutely crazy about you. If I were you, I would come running. Let's bow and pray. Father, we give you thanks for this story, for the, the message that flows out of a, an old story like this is timeless. Your provision, the way you protect and provide, the way, the way people were willing to step up when it was dangerous and things were unsure, and, and the result was that people celebrated. Father, Help us to not be cowards. Help us to not look at our life and think that it's not worth anything. You take a busted up, totally wrecked preacher, use him every day. You can use anybody. God, we love you. We just, we love you. pray that you would fall on the people in this room just now. They would be reminded again of what you've done for them and encouraged to share that with somebody else. For the one in the room who's never given their life to Christ, Father, I pray that you would penetrate their heart and just love them. In Jesus' name we pray.